It's Friday, May 20th. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. The Baltimore County School Superintendent gets an earful from council members about the havoc being created by the continued school bus driver shortage. COVID-19 rates continue to go up, and we'll hear from a pediatrician on what parents can do to get through the national baby formula shortage. It's the Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Maryland's COVID-19 metrics are going in the wrong direction, up. The testing positivity rate is now at 8.39%. The State Department of Health says there are 3,016 new cases and three additional deaths related to the virus. There are 426 patients hospitalized, seven more than reported yesterday. Baltimore's mayor is reacting to a council committee's call for a plan to immediately address violence. Brandon Scott says the current level of violence is unacceptable and the city is working to optimize police resources with great support from state and federal partners. Scott said reducing violence isn't easy. There's no quick fix. And he's trying out officers where residents have asked for and need them the most. Baltimore County Council members say the school system's handling of its buses is a failure. They say buses are arriving late or not at all, and they are hearing about it from constituents. WYPR's John Lee reports. During a budget hearing Wednesday afternoon with the council and school superintendent Daryl Williams, Republican Councilman David Marks got a message from Perry Hall Middle School. That three buses are late. I get these messages every single day. Democratic Councilman Tom Quirk says he gets texts almost daily about late or no-show buses. It falls disproportionately on, on working families. You know, a lot of families out there... They depend on public school bus transportation. They have to get to their jobs in the morning. The school system reports it currently has around 100 bus driver vacancies. Superintendent Williams says they're holding job fairs throughout the year, and the county is trying to speed up the time it takes someone to get a CDL license so they can drive a bus. The school bus driver shortage is a nationwide problem. John Lee, WIPR News. Governor Larry Hogan has announced a plan to spend up to $198 million in federal funds for small business relief. Maryland was the first state in the nation to submit its state small business credit initiative plan to the U.S. Treasury Department, and it is one of the first five states to be approved. The state expects to begin deploying the resources to approved applicants this summer. Pimlico Racetrack is preparing to welcome a full venue of horsemen and spectators for the 147th Preakness Stakes tomorrow. WYPR's Callan Hansel Suddeth has more. By mid-afternoon Friday, Pimlico was packed for the annual Black-Eyed Susan race the day before the Preakness. Andrea Johnson has worked in various roles at the racetrack since 1997. It's a lot of fun betting on the horses and stuff, and you get to meet so many different people. So I believe that they're going to have a huge crowd tomorrow. Marilyn McElveen from near Lexington, Virginia, has been attending the race for nearly 40 years. After last year's scaled-down event, she's ready for the real thing. I mean, I was here last year, and it was, I don't want to say eerie, but it, was, it didn't have the same enthusiasm, the, the you know, part of it is the crowd and the excitement. The excitement wasn't quite as big last year as I'm hoping this year will be. The Preakness begins tomorrow at 7.01 p.m. For WIPR News, I'm Callan Tansel-Suddeth. 
gates at Pimlico will open at 9 o'clock a.m. Saturday. The horses in tomorrow's Preakness Stakes will be facing some tough running conditions. The National Weather Service is forecasting a high of 94 degrees. This year's festivities feature a star-studded concert Friday night featuring Megan Thee Stallion, Lauren Hill and other artists. And it's being produced by Baltimore native and music mogul Kevin Lyles. Remember to share the road this weekend and watch out for those on two wheels. Marylanders are encouraged to switch up their daily routine and bike to work. Many did here and across the country today. They also saved on gas. Bike to Work Month continues through May 31st. The ongoing baby formula shortage has left parents across the country reeling as they struggle to feed their children, a task that for some parents may have once been straightforward. But as our news team reported this week, barriers to accessing baby formula have long existed. And leading up to this crisis were many warning signs. In February, a major baby formula plant, Abbott, shuttered after four babies who took formula developed bacterial infections and two died. Abbott controls nearly half the baby formula market. Parents have a long road ahead of them. To offer guidance and shed some light on this crisis, we have Dr. Yolandra Hancock, who goes by Dr. Yola. Dr. Yola is a pediatrician and obesity medicine specialist based in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. She's also the founder of Delta Health and Wellness Consulting. Dr. Yola, exactly how widespread is this baby formula shortage right now? This baby formula shortage is quite widespread right now across the country. There is a 43% reduction in the supply of baby formula, but different states within the country are being disproportionately impacted. There are cities in Texas, as an example, where there's a 53% reduction in terms of the availability of baby formula. What we're seeing now is not only on store shelves, but also online. We are now seeing that there has been a, a depletion in terms of availability of this baby, of baby formula. Right, it's interesting to see how it's differing across states. Um, can you talk a little bit about Maryland's situation compared to the rest of the country? Absolutely. What we're seeing here in Maryland is very similar to what we're seeing across the country. When you go to the various grocery stores, the shelves are completely bare of the majority of baby formulas. There are still, uh, you know, some plant-based baby formulas and some store brand baby formulas that families may not be as familiar with. But what I have seen now is that there's even been lack of access to those as well. I've never in my career seen these shelves completely bare of baby formula. And what we know is that this isn't an acute issue. We were aware of baby formula shortages back in July of 2021, really resulting from supply chain issues because of the pandemic and also labor issues because of the pandemic. There was, you know, within the workforce and warehouse settings, um, it was a perfect place for COVID-19 to be transmitted. And we've seen what's happening in baby formula happen in other areas within our economy. The challenge is that we did not anticipate that in addition to these supply chain issues, that we would also be dealing with the contamination of one of the three major formula suppliers in this country. And so when we think through how we could have anticipated sort of answering the call and making sure that our babies were 
had sufficient supply of their formula, we should have really been looking at this issue back last year. I'm wondering if you could talk about who is disproportionately affected by this shortage. I know that parents across the board, regardless of their socioeconomic status, are affected by this, but obviously there are babies and parents who are having it a little bit worse than others. Absolutely. I think that's a very important question and something that I have not heard a lot of media outlets talking about is the disproportionate impact that this formula shortage has had on specific families, particularly those receiving the WIC program, Women, Infant, and Children's Supplemental Food Program. Currently, the U.S. government is contracted with Abbott so that Similac, the brand that um, was most heavily impacted by the recall, that is the brand that the USDA is contracted to provide to families who receive WIC. And the way that the current operating procedures are is that whatever company the U.S. government is contracted with is the only kind of formula that a family receiving WIC can purchase with their WIC voucher unless they get an order from their healthcare professional. And so when you think about Similac specifically not being available to families, the challenge is that if they did not change the rules that allow families to get formula outside of that Similac brand, it becomes an even heavier burden. Just recently, they were able to release some of those uh, restrictions, but this has not been communicated with certain WIC providers across the country. Right now, we know that 1.7 million babies, 24% of WIC recipients are babies. When you think about the breakdown in terms of racial demographics, over 30% of recipients of WIC are people of color. And then when you add into that economic issue, so if I previously received WIC and now I can't find the formula that WIC allows me to get, now I have to come out of pocket in order to get formula. And, you know, luckily the federal government has stepped in to prevent price gouging, but at the onset of this shortage, that's what was happening. Formula that was normally $21 uh, per case went up to at upwards of $100 per case. And so luckily the federal government stepped in, but when we think about economics, when we think about racial demographics, unfortunately this formula shortage is further perpetuating some of the health disparities that we were already aware of. And the other thing to keep in mind is babies who are on specialized formula. There are at least 5,000 infants in this country right now as well as some older children and even adults with some uh, rare metabolic diseases that depend on specialty formulas that are in dire need of these formulas. They can't use a store brand because some of these specialized formulas are not um, available in a generic variety. What could this mean for babies and their development? Are there any long-term health consequences that might come from this crisis? Certainly, you know, one of the things that I always think about as both a pediatrician and a public health professional is the impact that stress has on our health, both for parents when they experience it, little ones experience it vicariously through their parents. And so while mothers and fathers and other caregivers are completely stressed out, not figuring out how they're going to maintain the food supply for their babies who thought that that would even be something we'd have to be worried about, that in and of itself can facilitate um, changes in the body that then put them at risk later on when they're adults. Uh, we see as an example with the Dutch potato famine, there were pregnant women during that time in the 1940s, because of this famine, it ended up facilitating the adults who were born out of that famine to have a higher risk of things like diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. And so if families are 
stretching formula, if families are diluting formula, if families are using alternative ways of feeding their baby, one, it's the stress they're experiencing, and then it's the lack of nutrients that some of these alternative feeding um, methods may have, and then causing our little ones to end up having nutritional deficiencies. People might say, well, you can just, you know, make your own baby formula at home or you can breastfeed. You know, we didn't always have baby formula, so there must be alternatives. Um, Tell me exactly what the viable alternatives are, if there are any, um, and why those solutions like making your own formula or breastfeeding aren't exactly always viable. So one of the first recommendations that I have made to my families and to my community is to reach out to your healthcare provider. If your baby is on one formula, they may be able to navigate you through what are some of the options in terms of switching over. Second is to reach out to the manufacturers. There are hotlines and resources for families. If you do not have a healthcare provider with whom you can connect, Gerber has a hotline where it connects you to either a certified nutrition or lactation consultant to help navigate you through finding a similar formula. Even though Abbott is having the issues with the contamination in their factories. There is a product request line. If an OBGYN or pediatrician fills out an urgent product request form, particularly for families who are in need of those specialized formulas, they can actually facilitate getting a supply shipped over. And you have similar um, resources when it comes to the Infamil brand. The other is to tap into community resources. There is an overarching organization called the Community Action Agency. What they can do is actually connect you with organizations locally that may have formula in stock, whether it be a food bank or a food pan- pantry. The United Way is another place to tap in to find out if there is any formula available. And this is one that people don't often think about. But human milk banking, Um, previously there was a charge to have access to donated breast milk. Right now, the federal government is working with organizations to allow for there to be the donation of it. And just in case anyone's worried, I want to assure um, listeners that breast milk donation is absolutely safe. I donated milk supply after my little one finished breastfeeding after a two-year journey. The person who donates is screened and tested and the milk is also tested for all the things that we are concerned about. The other thing to consider is looking at smaller stores, looking online. And I say this knowing that certain families, especially if you are a WIC recipient, you may not be able to utilize online resources. I know, for instance, Amazon, you can actually use your EBT to access um, the purchasing of certain formula brands but that may not be an option for a lot of other families. As a last resort, and you cannot find any formula, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually just pushed out a recommendation that allows families to actually use cow's milk, whole whole cow's milk, at least for right now. Historically, we have advised families against the use of whole cow's milk until the age of 12 months. One, because it lacks sufficient supply of iron, Two, it can be very constipating, and it can also upset the tummy a little bit in terms of causing a little bit of microscopic bleeding resulting in anemia. But the AAP just recently pushed out a recommendation just two days ago that said for babies six months and older that you can actually consider as a last resort giving them whole milk, but you don't want to give more than about 24 ounces. And what I would recommend for those families is to consider supplementing with iron. And then for babies who are close to a year of age, you can actually um, introduce the toddler formula that may be available for those little ones that are 10 to 11 months old. But to your point about what we have to be cautious about, especially as I see some posts in social media, what are some of the things that we would caution against? The first, of course, is diluting formula. Little ones 
their kidneys cannot mature, their kidneys don't mature until they're about 12 months of age, which means the more water you drink as an adult or an older child, your kidneys know to pee out what you don't need and keep in what you do. Little ones under the age of 12 months, their kidneys aren't mature enough to be able to do that. So by diluting the formula, not only do you reduce the amount of calories and nutrients that a baby gets, but you can actually dilute their systems so much so that it can cause them to have significantly low sodium levels and they end up being in the hospital because it can affect their brains. When it comes to making your own formula, you know, from a historical standpoint, I understand why uh, folks are doing it. Their mothers and even their grandmothers may have done it just to give a bit of historical context between the 1940s and the 1960s. Most infants who were not breastfed actually received this homemade recipe of evaporated milk mixed with some form of corn syrup. Currently, we have to be mindful that if we're using those recipes that were used back in the 1960s, that it is associated with deficiencies in iron, thiamine, and selenium. The goal for current baby formulas is to be as similar to breast milk as possible, both in terms of digestion and in terms of nutrients. And there's just no way that parents are going to be able to add into a homemade formula the nutrients, the exact combination of nutrients that babies need. But I get it in order for us to figure out something to give our babies. What I would say is that if you have opted to give your baby this homemade formula, really consult with your primary care provider to know if the baby will need some form of uh, supplement, if the pediatrician can provide recommendations for additional nutrients as a family is navigating through this crisis. In partnership together, I believe that we can help families navigate through this stressful time. And the other thing about these baby form, these homemade baby formulas is the addition of Cairo syrup and any other form of corn syrup. There is a risk of what we call botulism. There, the botulinum bacteria likes to hang out in corn syrup and in honey, which is another reason why we do not recommend that we introduce either of those until a baby is at least 12 months of age because it puts them at risk for botulism. And I have actually taken care of babies who were on evaporated milk formula that had significant nutritional deficiencies such that they ended up hospitalized. And I have also taken care of babies who were introduced to Cairo syrup much earlier than they should and ended up having botulism and in the ICU. And so it isn't that there's a theoretical risk, this is an actual risk that I have observed myself clinically. Dr. Yola, the Biden administration said yesterday that this shortage could continue into at least into the next month. Do you have any advice for parents who are trying to make it through that time? You know, one of the things that I would say is really work with your healthcare provider. You're not in this by yourself, although it may feel like it. The second is the beauty of social media. Just yesterday, uh, I'm in a sorority. I'm a member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And within our sorority group, someone pushed out a message that a mom in Atlanta could not find the specific specialized formula for her baby. And I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of women in this group. And we were able to identify a source for her to get formula. And so there's certainly power in social media, particularly in mom groups, parenting groups, other organizational groups. That's number number two. And then the third is 
to really pay attention to how much formula you're buying. If you have a sufficient supply, there's no need to buy like a month's worth. Take into consideration that we wanna make sure that formula is available for everyone. We know that Abbott and the FDA have now identified ways in which they can rectify some of the issues that they had in their factory. They're anticipating that it'll take upwards of a month for them to navigate through all of that. And it'll take another six weeks or so for them to get up to full production. Um, I think that we see some movement happening in the formula space. We also know that the federal government has asked the other two major formula producers to increase their ability to push out formula. So I think that that's another sort of ray of hope. Tap into your community, tap into um, whoever you are connected to, because they may be the ones that will be able to show up for you, even if it's across the country, your cousin, your friend, someone you went to went to college with, maybe in Iowa, while you're in California, and they can ship you some formula. So just take a deep breath. We're going to get through this together, and we really need to work together. If you do not have children, but you see formula, make sure that you connect with people who you know may have a need and help to meet that need. That's what we, you know, we really need to work together to meet the needs of our babies. Uh, Dr. Yale, I wonder if you mind talking a little bit about something you raised just now, which is um, avoiding like, buying too much of the formula given the shortage. I understand that a lot of parents feel concerned and feel like that might be their only option. I guess, how do you strike that balance between being strategic about getting through this crisis and also um, being mindful of you know, the great shortage that we have and other parents' needs? Right. I, I understand fully both sides, right? You you don't want to be the parent that didn't anticipate the need. And now you're the one panicking, running around trying to find um, your baby's formula. But right now it's, it's about protection, but it's also about consideration, knowing that there are families who may not have access to drive around the city, the state, figuring out where they're going to find formula for their babies. And so I think right now it's operating operating in compassion, in a space of compassion. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that each family have about a two week supply of formula to carry them through. So that's what I would recommend for right now so that we have enough formula available. Now the challenge is those who decide not to listen. Those who decide that if there is formula on the shelf, I'm going to buy it all up. That's one of the reasons why retailers have now limited the number of cases or bottles you can purchase in order for us to be able to have collective protection. We've seen this throughout the pandemic. There are those of us who are going to be considerate and only buy two packs of toilet tissue and there are those that are going to have an entire storage closet of it. For this situation, it's a lot different because you deciding to hoard can impact another family's ability to have just the bare minimum. And that's what I want people to consider. Dr. Yola, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? One of the things that I really want to point out is one, the need for our country collectively to prioritize the health and well-being of babies and parents. Had we anticipated the drop in formula availability back in July of 2021, we could have anticipated this much better. Certainly being able to supply the major and minor formula companies with the supplies and resources and financial support that is needed to make sure we maintain the supply for our babies. Because as we've seen, if the supply is low, there isn't a fast response that can meet the baby's needs. The second is to really consider how we're approaching the import of formulas. Now we're reconsidering it. 
but we should have reconsidered the import of baby formulas a long time ago. When you think about other countries across the globe, particularly in the European Union, their standards for their formula are actually much higher than ours. In the European Union, they do not allow any added sugar inclusive of corn syrup in baby's formula. And they recommend about 30% of the protein in baby formulas coming from lactose. And so I think that the European Union sets an excellent example in terms of how we can operate when it comes to um, the safety and the nutrition of baby formula. And then thirdly, it's really thinking through um, why is it that we only have really three major formula brands? That's something that we also really need to consider. If one of them is impacted, such as Abbott, then it's a reduction of at least a third of the availability of our formula. And so we really need to think through how do we maintain an ample supply and how do we anticipate if ever this happens again? Dr. Yolanda Hancock is a pediatrician and obesity medicine specialist. She's also the founder of Delta Health and Wellness Consulting. Dr. Yola, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. We cover the news of the day here on The Daily Dose, but it's also a platform for listeners like you. Got a thought or a story you want to share about life in the era of coronavirus? Leave us a voicemail to play on an upcoming episode. The number, 410-235-6060. We've also got a button on the WYPR app so you can record a voice memo that way too. Just tap Daily Dose comments on the app or give us a call. The number again, 410-235-6060. 6060. We're always happy to hear from you, and we'll be here for you again on Monday. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Callan Hansel Sedith. Our digital content director is Jamila Krempel, and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy. Stay sane and stand together. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. Thanks for listening.